Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So have you ever been overlooked? Like completely overlooked by somebody, something, someone in your life because you didn't quite cut what they were looking for. Like maybe you got cut for a basketball team because you weren't tall enough. But even though like you had mad skills, you could shoot the ball, like now nah, we really want somebody who's over six foot and they wanted height, you didn't have it even though you had other skills. Or perhaps it was a job, you had this promotion available, but they were looking for a certain skill set uh, we want this many years of experience with this many years of schooling. We want these things. But even though you had the skill set, even though you'd worked hard, you were overlooked. Maybe you didn't have enough education. Maybe you were too young. Maybe you were too old. Maybe you have gone through something that somebody looked at you and says, you don't meet what we want. So it doesn't matter. We're going to overlook you. We've all been subject to some sort of bias in our life. And bias is hurtful because you get passed over just simply because of what somebody believes you're supposed to have. And in leadership, it happens all the time as well. In leadership, we look for leaders who have certain qualifications, act a certain way, have certain amounts because we put them in such a high spot. We want our leaders to have the total package. And let me tell you what the average church attender wants from their pastor. They want us to be holy all the time, yet available all the time, have perfect families, perfect marriages, but be at our beck and disposal. We want them to live the perfect life, have perfect balance of their money. They want them to be at church all the time, yet all the time, always at home. They want Jesus. And the truth is, is that when you look at your church leadership and staff and pastors, that they would say, what we want, actually, we probably wouldn't even accept Jesus because he's homeless. He doesn't have a big enough home that we want. You know, he doesn't do the things that we want. Like, I think in American culture, church, we would look over Jesus and his 12 disciples today if he came and said, hey, let me lead you to know more about God. We set these biases and these standards, and there's, not, there's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with those things. And hear what I'm saying. I'm saying is that what we do in our culture is we look for markers. And those markers, if they don't meet the markers that we want, we say, you're not available. We especially do this to our young people. Young people are continually overlooked. Teenagers are continually overlooked. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And one of the things that was the most frustrating thing in the world to me is watching how these amazing teenagers with pink hair and piercings and ripped jeans, and they don't quite fit the mold of what we find acceptable in a certain way, and they come to church, and they're all wrinkled pants, and they just woke up. And they're like, ugh, but I've never seen a group of people love Jesus more and give more and serve more, but they were overlooked. They'd say, you can, you can do worship music in youth events, you can't do worship music in adult events. You can serve little kids, but you can't serve people older than you. I have seen biases in youth that made me just want to scream. Because these youth, these teens, whose heart were so huge, they were overlooked simply because they were young. Biases can be very bad. And biases is not something that is unique to us. It's universal. But we can stop the trend. This morning, we're going to study a bit of the life of David. And David was overlooked over 
and over and over again. King David, if you're not familiar with who he is, is a is a, a person in the Old Testament deemed as the greatest king of all time for the nation of Israel. And as David comes into the scene, he doesn't have this grand pomp and circumstance type event in which he's brought into leadership. In fact, everyone thought that he was the wrong fit because he wasn't the right size, he didn't do the right things, he was too young, he wasn't in the right lineage, and no, you can't be the king. But the truth is, is that that is not how God works. While we as humans are constantly looking for our outward things, we're looking for outward appearance, we're looking for outward academics, outward markers, God doesn't work like that. Our God is so amazing, and he goes beyond the outside of everything that we use as qualifiers, but he looks at the heart. And the heart of who we are, the heart of, our, of who we are, the true self of us, our integrity, our love for the Lord, why we exist, the things that why we act the way we do, the true part of us. God goes past all the outside, he looks at that and says, that's going to be my leader. And that's exactly what he did with David. And so today, we're going to be going through a lot of scripture. So if you have your Bibles with us, with you, open up to 1 Samuel 16. And for those who are using Bible apps or if you're at home, feel free to jump into it. There's a lot of scripture we'll be going through in 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 17. So I want to lay out how these stories work together in the calling of David and how the calling of David then leads to him facing a nine-foot monster called Goliath. David has never fit the mold. And a lot of times in our lives, we feel like that. I don't fit the mold. I know that I've felt like that so long in ministry. I remember, I remember thinking, if I just got to the age of 40, people would respect me as a pastor. If I just got to 40, now people take you seriously. If I just became a lead pastor, then all of a sudden I'm a real pastor. All these things got pushed through my mind because when I was young, overlooked, put down, seen as not as that important, not a real pastor, asked, the, asked, honestly, true question, hey, Jason, it's great that you lead youth. When are you going to become a real pastor? It said often to our youth workers, and I can tell you this, and all you youth pastors and youth workers out there, you are a real pastor. Just because we're young, doesn't mean that God doesn't call you to something. Now that I've hit 40 and now I'm horny, like now I'm like, let me be 30 again. Let me have my youth again. Let me have that vigor again, the energy I had. Because if I could take my energy of my 30s with the wisdom I have in my 40s, I think I could blow up the world. But that's not how God works. God says, I call you when I call you at the time that I call you for the work that I've called you to. I also want to say before we jump into 1 Samuel, it's not just a youth it's also our older brothers and sisters. Sometimes we say, our older brothers and sisters, you've had too many years. You can't keep up with certain people. Now it's time for you to use this big word, retire. And when I read my Bible, there is no retire. In fact, our older brothers and sisters have such an opportunity to be called into greater wisdom into our ministry that no matter what your age, if you're young, you feel overlooked. If you're old, you feel overlooked. And middle age, we feel we're overlooked by both sides. So everybody feels that there's a bias against us, but it's not true. God calls us in every phase of our life to what he calls us to, and he chooses our call to ministry. Ministry is not a position on staff. Ministry is being called to the work of God exactly where you are, in the story where you are, in the neighborhood where you live, 
right now. So let's start up with 1 Samuel 16. Now, this is part of our summer story, so there's a lot of storytelling involved. We're going to jump into Scripture, and I'm going to fill in some story, but feel free to keep up. If you have not read these passages before, these are fascinating passages as we look at the life of David. We pick up this story with Samuel, who is the one to anoint Israel's king, and it was with Saul. And because of Saul, who was the king of Israel, he was disobedient, and his heart was turning And God could see his heart and his disobedience. And so God says, I'm going to remove Saul as king, and I want you to get a new king. So now Samuel jumps into the story because Samuel is mourning because he had anointed Saul. So now Saul, who he thought was going to be the king of Israel, is now making this huge mess of everything, and God's like, I don't want him there anymore. I want somebody else. And Samuel is mourning Saul. That's where we pick up 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill the horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Saul did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. So in walks Samuel to this time of sacrifice. He sees Jesse and he says, consecrate yourself. Now, consecration is not a concept that we have today, but this is a process that the Jewish people would take time to get themselves ready to meet with the living God. You woke up this morning, you had a cup of coffee, you fought with your kids, you got in the car, you're here, right? Like, that's like, we just got boom, 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 boom. They would take three days, sometimes more, to wash, purify, prepare their heart to get ready for this special meeting because now they're going to go to this place of meeting with God. So this wasn't a small process. This was an an enlarged process, but this wasn't a willy-nilly, let's just go meet God. Prepare yourself the meeting of the holiest of holies. And so he calls the family to that, and they do it. But this is where our story takes a turn. As Jesse and his sons come to the sacrifice, Saul sees Jesse's oldest son, And he assumes that he is the one that he is supposed to now mark as the king. Let's pick up verses 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me read this to you again because this is why I want to drive deep, deep into your heart this morning. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's the key to this entire passage this morning, is that when we look at this, Samuel comes up and he sees this attractive, tall, firstborn, fits all the qualifications of a king. This is our guy. He's a warrior. He can take care of himself. He's good-looking. This is our guy. So he walks up, he's the firstborn, and immediately he assumes, this is my guy. 
So Samuel is even mistaken. So here's a man of God going right back to the way that we would think and look. The same thing happens to us today. So they knew, when you take a look at him, that this is the type of guy that people are going to follow. Think of all the people who are popular leaders. They have qualifications that we like. They're good-looking. They're tall. They're strong. They have lots of money. They have lots of power. Why does somebody who just acts in a movie have all the power that they do? Think about that. All of our celebrities, everyone else, why does an athlete have as much power as they do to say words that influences culture? It's because we see them as strong, attractive, powerful. They have money. They have influence. So we say, well, that's got to be a leader. What he or she says must be important. And the same thing is happening here with the firstborn son. This is our guy. But it's not true. He sees him. He's like, okay, not only is he attractive, he's the firstborn. So back in the culture of Israel, the firstborn son was the heir to everything. He was the one who received everything. The firstborn would be the most beloved. He would get everything that the father had. And when you were looking at the lines of kings, most obviously the firstborn would be the next king. But he makes a statement that rings true from back then all the way to the year 2020. Man looks at the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. God looks into the heart of the firstborn. He's like, it's not right. He's not the guy that I want. So then we move on and we see that in the verses here, we judge people wrongly. We judge people for the things that they have. We judge people for the way that they act. We judge people based on criteria that we feel is important. But as we move on in this passage, we see that Man, it's not only the firstborn, now he goes to the secondborn. So maybe it's not one, maybe it's got to be the other good-looking son. 16.8, then Jesse called Abednadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. So now you've got son one, son two. And as you keep reading through this, we read all these sons keep going in front of them, and none of them are the right sons. So as Samuel is sitting there trying to figure out what God is calling him to have the next king, can you imagine his frustration? Like, I have a way of understanding things, God, and I understand you pick people, but you are not keeping in line with the way that we do things here on earth. Have you ever felt that God doesn't listen to your rules because I do all the time and I don't like it? I want God to listen to my rules. I want God to play by my playbook because it makes sense to me. But the truth of the matter is, God does not play by our playbook because your playbook is screwed up. Your playbook doesn't make sense. Your playbook is biased on yourself. But God looks beyond our playbook, looks beyond the way we see things, and he does things as he sees. He looks at the heart. So now in verse 9 and 10, the oldest, the third oldest comes. Same results. Seven sons passed before, and now he says, okay, is the story you got to have another son, right? And they're like, yeah, we got another son. He is the youngest, and he's David, and he's out tending sheep. I mean, it's a lowly job. It stinks. It's dirty. It's dangerous. He's out there tending the sheep. You don't want him. He's a nobody. So Samuel calls for him. He says he brings him in, and he says, okay, I want to take a look at this David because he doesn't have everything they see. But actually, as we see in the scriptures, he had an it factor. It says in the passage that he had good looks. 
He was ruddy with good, handsome looks. He wasn't. He was like his brothers. He had some qualifications, but he was too young. He's a nobody. He's a shepherd. Have you ever felt like a nobody? Felt like you're overlooked? Who am I? I'm nothing. Why would God choose me? I'm just fill in the blank. Whatever you've said in your life, I'm just, and you fill in that blank, it's not true. I'm just a blank. How could God ever use me? It's not true. Because that is not the economy of God. Those are your playbooks being played, but God's playbook looks at the heart. And the difference between David and his brothers, he has a heart like no others. In fact, David is called a man after God's own heart in scriptures. And so though he was attractive, he was strong, he was probably short at that point, right? We can assume he's the youngest, the oldest, tall and strong. He's just a little squirt. But he's good looking. He's like, okay, this guy, you know, he has all the same qualifications. But God does not look at the outward appearance. God looks at David's heart. And it's because of David's heart, everything changes. Verses 16, or chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. This young man now has the Spirit of God, the power of God, with him and on him. And he now is sitting here with all of his angry seven older brothers who thought they were supposed to be king, and he gets anointed with oil. Now, let's talk about Christmas family drama in that family. You're sitting at the table, and you're sitting down to eat, right? Your family meal at Christmas. And David's just sitting there playing with his jello because he's a little kid, right? And the older brothers are just staring at him. And David's like, hey, remember that time when I got anointed king and you didn't? <laughs> and eats, you know, like, could you imagine the stress that happened at that moment? The drama, the pain, the frustration of this little nothing. Why him? They can't see his heart, but he goes down the line. Seven brothers passed by. The eighth is chosen, and it was David. He broke every standard possible. He's not the right age. He doesn't have the right experience. He doesn't go through the proper ways that we see of what should be a king, but God says, this is my guy. God does not look at the standards we do. He looks at our hearts. So now I want to fast forward this story into a time where there's war. So now we take David and his brothers and a war is breaking out between the Philistines and Israel. And they are lined up in this large valley. And on one side of the valley, you have the Philistines. On the other side, you have the Israelites. And these Philistines were here on this side calling and taunting out to Israel. And we see as they're calling a ton, they're mocking God. They're calling out to this God of theirs, oh Israel, you're no big deal, you're garbage, you're rubbish. And the other side, Israel's quaking because they bring their champion out. So think of this large valley, and in comes a man who's nine feet tall. Nine feet tall. I mean, that's a big dude. And he's not a big, skinny NBA player tall dude. He is a big dude who has big girth. We know this because the scriptures give description of what he is wearing. He's wearing this armor made of all bronze. Have you ever worn bronze before? Me neither. It's just heavy. So he's got this torso armor that's 125 pounds. 
torso. So his chest plate and his back plate weighs 125 pounds. Could you walk with 125 pounds? This man was not only tall, he was large and huge. He has a spear, and the scriptures tell us the point of his spear. The point of his spear is 15 pounds. So imagine taking a spear, 15 pounds, and a spear, the intention is to throw from a distance to go through somebody at a distance. It's not a close combat unless they're coming up and you, you spear them. But this was a throwing device, 15 pounds. How far could you throw a spear that's 15 pounds just on the end of it? They're showing this to say, look at how mammoth this guy is. Think Shaquille O'Neal, nine feet tall, right? He was a big dude. So he comes out, and he's in this valley, and he's mocking them. And he's like, okay, I tell you guys what. We'll just battle. Come, come face me, and the loser, whoever loses, is going to be our slaves. You serve us. If I lose, then we'll serve you. If you lose, then you become our slaves. These two armies are on the edges, and Israel is just quaking in their boots. Day after day, this Philistine's coming out and taunting, saying, come on, guys. This is my term, right? You guys scared? Let's do this. There's no one as big as me. There's no one as strong as me. Let's do this because your God's not going to help you. He's mocking Yahweh. And over and over again, this is happening. And we see David's three older brothers sitting on that line. Now, let's take it just for a second here. They hear the mocking of their God. They were passed by as kings. They're not doing anything. They're sitting there on the sidelines too. These guys are not stepping out. And so we pick up our passage again now in chapter 17, verses 20 through 27. In 20 through 27, David is instructed by his father, hey, I want you to take these rations, take this food over to your brothers, and also give some to the commanders. When you go out there, what I want you to do is get it, tell me what's going on. There wasn't newspapers. It's not the internet, right? Tell me what's going on. Are they okay? What's happening with the war? Bring news back to me. So give them rations, bring news back. And that's where we pick up 20 to 27. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting a war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. Note, not his brothers like he was supposed to. Grounded. He left with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. That's reason enough to go try, right? So no taxes. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Remember, this is just a young boy. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him this is what to be done for the man who kills him. So in comes this little David again coming in. He runs up to the battle line. All these guys are all armied up. And this guy comes out like, who's this guy talking all this junk? Who is he to say anything about the Lord God Almighty? You guys are just going to stand here and let him say that about our God. 
can tell there's something different about David's heart. So he hears the taunts, he hears Goliath, he learns about the reward, and then we move on to verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What a typical firstborn. You little squat. Who are you to come here? Who are you to come here? I know your heart. You can sit now. Remember, Christmas at Christmas time, there's drama, right? Who are you conceited heart? I know all about you're coming down to see people die. You're out here to mock things. Like he's throwing all this stuff at him. Like David can't catch a break. So here, the older brother is just chastising this young man. And this is what's so crazy about it. He disrespects him. Who'd you leave those few little sheep with? He reminds him of his status. So have you ever been in a situation in which someone reminds you of what they consider your lowly status? Who are you to say anything? You've never fill in the blank. Who are you to question me? I'm the one who fill in the blank. I'm greater than you are. And that's what he does. Who are you? You have a couple little sheep you tend. Go back, little boy. Take care of your sheep. But the crazy thing about David, as he hears this, as he's called wicked, as he's being just chastised, he's the anointed king of Israel. Doesn't say anything. The jealousy that's running through him, David <laughs> responds with, what did I do to deserve this? Like, why are you talking to me like this? And doesn't even defend himself. He just says, who am I to reserve this verbal onslaught? And he moves on and keeps asking the other soldier stuff. Now, typical last-born kid, right? Like, whatever, older brother. No, he takes it. He's like, why are you after me like this? Like, I'm just here. Like, and he starts asking, so, so what's going on? He's trying to get the information of what's happening. And the word gets back to King Saul about David. And so he, Saul calls David to him. Comes before David in verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 32. David said to, Paul, to, to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. So let's assume, we're going to make some assumptions here. Scripture doesn't talk about it. David is four feet tall. Let's assume he's strong because we find out when he's out here as a shepherd, he actually has fought bears and lions and won with his bare hands. Like, he's fending off large animals to keep his sheep safe. So he's not a frail, broken little kid. Like, this guy, I mean, he's strong. He has a strong job, but he's still young. He isn't fitting the mold of what they want. And he's being the younger brother and the older brothers at war, noting that three brothers at war, there's a whole lot of brothers who weren't old enough to go to war yet. So just putting in the timeline of where he'd be, he'd be really young. But this young man goes out and says, why is everyone afraid? I'll go fight him. Like, that is a heart that believes so much in the Lord God. Because he believes that because of God, he can win. So he's too young. He doesn't fit the mold. Saul talks to him and says, ah, David, thanks. You're too young. You don't fit the mold. You have no experience. Goliath has been fighting since he's been a very young boy. You will not win. David said, I'll fight him. So then he starts putting on 
all of his armor. So King Saul gives him his armor and his shield and his breastplate and his helmet. Have you ever seen like the flannel grams in Sunday school? Like the helmet's way too big and like the armor's falling off and all this kind of stuff. We don't know about that, but this is what David says. He goes, I don't fight like this. I'm not used to this stuff. I'm going to take my staff and I'm going to take my sling and some rocks because that's how I kill bears. Now, that is pretty rad. I kill bears for fun with a sling and a staff. I'm afraid of bear with any sort of weapon, and I'm not going to fight a bear with rocks and slings and staffs. He says, I don't want the swords. I don't want any of that. I want my staff, my sling, and my rocks. So I'm comfortable with. So for whatever reason, God must have spoken to Saul. He said, okay. So let's just put ourselves in the story. Young David is walking through the lines. Excuse me. Excuse me. Um, can I get through? Excuse me. Trying to like squeak by. Excuse me. And he gets through. Excuse me, I'm, I'm going to fight Goliath now. And everyone's laughing. Everyone's laughing at him. Like, are you kidding me? And they're looking around. Are you kidding? Excuse me. He gets up to the front of the battle line. And he comes out there with no armor. All these armies. This young boy comes out and says, excuse me. He comes to the front of the line and stands there. And then we see, pick it back up in 1741 to 49. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. Once again, he had the appearance, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Strong words from a young man. Today, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord save, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. He runs to the battle line. And so the Philistine says, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Animals are going to be eating you today. Quick-witted, I would say. Dave's like, actually, no. You are going to be fed to the animals today. And not only that, I'm going to chop off your head and show everybody that I beat you. Now, this is going to be a big head. Like, I don't walk around with human heads. That's a good thing. This is going to be a big head of a nine-foot giant monster man. And he says, I'm, not, I'm going to show all of Israel, I'm going to show all of the Philistines, I'm going to show everybody that the Lord God wins this battle. It's not by armies and by swords. It's because God called it. And so he runs out, he takes his stone, which, you know, if I throw a sling, it'd be like, remember, he's killing bears and lions and wolves, all these things attacking. He's good shot. I mean, that is a good shot. He throws it so hard and had such velocity or feet per second, it sunk into the skull of a very large man, instantaneously killing him. He just falls face down. And then it says, as you read on the scripture, he runs up to him, takes 
<laughs> takes his sword, not David's. He takes Goliath's sword, kills him, finishes the call, and then he chops his head off. This is not what normally happens with our youth in America these days. <laughs> he comes to this, holds his head up, and makes the claim that God wins. This young, not right boy. This boy that no one believed in. This boy that was overlooked as the king. This boy, when he went to King Saul, said, you're not the right fit. This young boy who had a heart after God did not trust in his ability of a sling or swords or staffs. We can assume by his statement that David had probably never sung a sword before. He had no idea how to swing that sword because he wasn't used to it. He took what he knew. He took a staff. He took rocks and a sling. What he had, he used for God. As God made him, he was available. Is God calling you right now where you are with what you have to be available? Is God calling you to a place that you think is insurmountable? Because there's a whole lot of people standing on the line, a whole lot of Israelites, a whole lot of Christians standing in the valley, standing here, and people are defiling our God. People are going to hell because they don't know Jesus Christ. And we stand in the line and say, it's too scary. I'm not right. I don't know what to say. I don't talk good in front of people. I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough money. I have too much money. I don't live in the right place. We have all these excuses standing on the line. Would you be the David who runs through the line and says, we win not by the statues of the world. We win because of Jesus Christ who called us to it. We win because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I may not be good enough to any of you right now, but God calls me good because of my heart, and he's called me to break through the lines to attack Goliath. The story of David inspires us in so many ways because we all feel inadequate. We all feel that we don't have it together. We feel this low self-esteem crunch, and we think, if only I had these attributes, I could be used by God. But David just had a heart. He used the skill that he had of slinging a stone, and he obeyed the call God called him to. Because of that, this young man, this little nobody, saved the entire nation. And as the story continues, David defeats him. All the Israelites rushed through, and what David said came true. They slaughtered all the Philistines. They went through, and their enemy, enemy was defeated. And this is the part of the story which I think is just gross, but I understand it. David takes the head of Goliath with him back home. And he has it on display. Now, why? I always, always ask the question, why? No one was going to believe him. No one's going to believe him. You know how people are, stories and things. There had to be proof. Like, look, I really didn't. No, you didn't. You're a nobody. You're not good enough. You didn't really do that. You're too young. There's no way you killed that big giant. Maybe he wasn't really nine feet tall. It's probably like six foot two, right? Like, and all these stories would start to circulate. But he takes it not only to that he did it, but to prove God. And now he has proof that God is the one who wins the battles. Just come as you are. So my question to you is the next David here today, is the next David right now online watching is there somebody who's going to break through the, bottle, the battle lines of mediocrity, of standing there scared, saying that we're not good enough? Is our next church planner sitting right now in our church, right now, or watching online? Is our next missionary 
right now watching us and hearing this? Is our next person who says, I don't have the skills to talk, going to actually talk to their neighbor about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is God calling you to something to go across the lines to go into the battle because he has equipped you for it and called you? Friends, don't ever think that you do not have what it takes to be used for the kingdom and for God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks straight into your heart. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.